everybody welcome back to we and you where we talk about the kentucky commission on human rights and a little bit about what's going on in our area i am terrence sullivan and i'm Brittany cook we're broadcasting from beautiful downtown louisville here in the historic hayburn building everybody welcome back so today's show is a fun one and it's really continuing on where we were last week talking about the american dream and we have a special guest today uh dr kyra kendrick <laughs> kyra you want to introduce yourself sure i am dr kyra kendrick i am currently the director of on-campus recruiting and external relations at the university of north carolina chapel hill Go heels. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anything else you need to know about me or is that it? No, I think that's good. I, I will say just to, to get us started on how I know you. Um, Kyra is one of the first people I met when I moved to Louisville. Uh, she was we were in the same dorm and she was one of the nicer people in the dorm full of crazies. So it was <laughs> you kind of you kind of click together with the people who are uh, a little bit more like you or that don't uh well yeah Kyra was pretty mm -hmm. cool to hang out with and so we got to talk a lot and so I've just tried to keep in touch with each other since she moved away to be fancy so yeah <laughs> stop um, it stop it <laughs> so just to, to dive in and we talked about this kind of before we invited you on but <clears throat> last week we talked for a while about the American dream and what that meant to us and what it looks like today and just for you when you hear the phrase American dream what does that make you think of um it it's multi-layered I I think of status initially um, whether that be monetary or having like physical material things. Um, but when I reflect on my own American dream and what that looks like, I, I think I'm still searching to find out what it looks like because, you know, I think it, it sounds good in theory and ideally, you know, we all want everybody to be successful and to achieve however, um, I mean, as we all have seen with the social unrest, we know that institutional racism is real and we understand that um, every now and then there may be barriers that are gonna prevent you from achieving whatever it is that you're set out to achieve. And so I think um, when the term was coined, I don't necessarily know if black people were in mind at that point. Why do you say that? Well, it was in like the thirties, <laughs> you know, we existed in the thirties. I mean, yeah, we did, but <laughs> we did, we did, we did. But for example, my grandmother, she was born in the early twenties. And so, you know, she didn't even finish high school. She wasn't even allowed to finish high school. And, you know, she grew up in Kentucky and still lives in Kentucky in a very small town called Hopkinsville. <laughs> I know, right? And all she knew, like she never thought larger than her current space that she occupied. And so all she knew was, you know, I, I need to make sure that I can provide for my family when my time comes to, you know, eventually move out, get married, have children. And, but education wasn't a, necessarily a part of that for her. And um, she ended up being a housekeeper for as long as I can remember. I mean, I'm 33. When I was born, she was a housekeeper. And so um, I say that to say, not everybody thinks like that, right? That's not necessarily everybody's story or everybody's case. But I do think that 
the fact that she didn't see beyond that tells me that she wasn't her American dream wasn't to go be a housekeeper by any Mm -hmm. means you know you people want to go and have their own and live on their own and not be confined to somebody else but I don't know if she necessarily had those opportunities to do that no that what's interesting just hearing you say that is first off when I was born I was born in Madisonville but I was in my family, like we all lived in Hopkinsville. We just happened to be in Madisonville at the time, so I know Hopkinsville. Um, and mm-hmm. my grand, my great grandma and my granny were both housekeepers in Western Kentucky as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, <laughs> my my mom and my aunts, yeah, a lot of them did that. So <clears throat> for them, it, that is a that is a question about like what what was the dream for them because no one really says oh you know when i when i turn 18 i'm gonna go clean white people's houses for not very much money but that's what they did and so i'll I'll ask you this question because this is something that i one of the issues i take with the concept of the american dream is at least to me or the way it was explained to me was the concept was you work hard and then you achieve stuff. Mm. And though our family members, I don't know people working harder than that, going to people's houses at five in the morning to go clean up and get stuff ready for them so they can go live their lives from a clean house. And that's hard work. And so how does that make you think about the concept of the american dream if if it was presented to you that way the same way it was to me that you work hard and you achieve ironically my family was the same way they you know followed the rules felt like you know if you work hard then you'll receive and achieve all of these things but i don't think that's necessarily true i know a variety of people who are hard workers that may never see the type of money or financial success that other people that I know have. So I, you know, I think about, matter of fact, I have a friend who works in a factory. He has one degree and he's making more than I'm making and I have three degrees. (laughs) And not that, and I am not trying to take that away from him, right? Go get the money. I support that. However, I don't, it doesn't equate just because you, have more education or just because you, you know, went to institutions of higher learning doesn't necessarily guarantee success. Mm-hmm. I think working hard doesn't even guarantee success. I, it's actually funny because probably three years ago, maybe when I, when I first started on my doctorate um, was when somebody first presented to me the, the thought of, you know, sometimes Kyrie, you know, it's not about what you know, but who you know. Right. Well, okay, well, yeah, we all know that, right? We all know it's about who you know, and that's part of your success story. But then they also made the statement, well, you know, it's not just about who you know, but who knows you and who's willing to say your name when mm-hmm. in rooms that you're not in. And I mean, it like blew my mind. <laughs> I was like, oh, why have I never thought of this? Like. <laughs> And, and so I in within that, I think that there is, while you do have to be able to work hard, you also have to play the, the political game to some extent. So the culture of wherever you're working, you have to be able to navigate that in order to be successful as we are deeming it, you know, for, for this purpose. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Going back to what you had mentioned, you know, when your grandmother was growing up and kind of not having education as a desire or like a means to an end. (laughs) Like I feel like a lot of us grew up as, um, I'm assuming maybe even you are a first gen student as well. Terrence and I are both first generation students. Um, Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Oh no, go ahead. Both My parents went to college. Okay. But they didn't go any higher. They just got a bachelor's degree. Which so is I still, first. yeah, I mean, many people don't even get that far. Yeah, but to to then, like, be first generation with master's and then a doctorate, too. What kind of brought the desire for education into your family when it wasn't something 
or even for you when it wasn't something that was ingrained generationally? My parents basically forced me. (laughs) (laughs) Good for them. And And both of them were first generation college. Okay. So they said when you, you know, turn 18 and you graduate from high school, you will either work or you will go to college. Like those are your only two options, Mm -hmm. but you won't won't be here. Like you got to (laughs) go. I know that story well. I was was ready to go. I was like, I want to get out of here anyway. So, you know, it's fine. (laughs) But I wanted that college experience. Like just, I actually, my parents put me in a variety of programs when I was in high school just to expose me to, and to have different experiences. And I, I think for, for my dad in particular, who's his mother is the one that lives in Hopkinsville, he left home and ran away to get away from that particular mentality. So it was important to him to be educated. Okay. I think somewhere along the way, and I think that came from his, his grandparents, so my great-grandfather and oh, mother. Okay. And ironically, they were sharecroppers. You know, they weren't going to school either. And I think it, it was important to them that my dad be educated. And so he, and you know, in his infinite wisdom was like, okay, in order to be educated, I guess I got to go to college. And so I think that's kind of where it stems from. And I think my parents learned from that, that it's going to expose me to a variety of things that I wouldn't normally get without that experience. So it is kind of going back to like almost a generational, but just different families having or different family members having different ideas of where to prioritize that. Definitely. My, my grandmother, even now, she she's left Hoptown maybe once to move to Louisville. <laughs> but then she moved right moved back. back. <laughs> and, and she stayed there forever. <laughs> you know, she's still there now at 90 years old. And so. Like she's never had the innate desire to like leave. Mm-hmm. The only reason she travels is because us as a family forced her. When I was growing up, like if we were going anywhere, she had to go because we were going to have these experiences. And I don't know. And her sister was the exact same way. Like they never, I don't know if there was ever a desire to truly like leave what you know. Yep. Whereas my parents were like, go see the world. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> so do you feel like in line with the American dream that it would be more of, I don't know, there's one side where people say it's, you know, having the home and the white picket fence and the, and two the and car. Yeah. And the 2.5 yes. kids, <laughs> which I think is now decreased. Now it's like 2.1. I don't know, a finger involved in there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one arm, one foot. <laughs> um, so, I mean, do you think that you need to have that kind of like worldly exposure to have what is called the American dream? Or are you okay being in your very American town? <laughs> I think people can achieve the American dream, even staying in their own town. Okay. I yeah. However, I think you limit yourself with the knowledge that you can have when that's all you know. And so, I mean, for me, I felt like in order to make money, I needed to leave Louisville. That's how I felt. Now, little did I know that wasn't necessarily <laughs> <laughs> that there wasn't a hundred percent truth to that, but um, every time I've taken like a different job and had to move to a different city, because I probably lived in five or six places over the course of the last seven years, um, my pay has also increased. So there may be a little correlation, you know? <laughs> but it, it, and it's funny because with this particular type of role, like it, there is a lot of turnover. And so like buying a home isn't even on my radar. I don't want to buy a house because it's so permanent. And I'm like, well, what if I get another job in two years? Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't need, I don't need that bill. I don't need uh, So that, so the, I, the white picket fence is not part of your American dream. What is part of your American dream? Um, I think for me being able to financially support myself mm. and support my family. 
And when I say family, I don't have children. Or a... <laughs> I thought you were telling me something. Yeah. I was like, wait, when did this happen? Your projected family, right? Like the desire oh, no. family that you have, yeah. whatever yeah. that may be. And, and, and my immediate family. It's My family is very small. So mm. my parents only had one kid, which is me. My dad is an only child. Oh, wow. My has two siblings, but one of them is gone. So it's, it's really not a lot of us. Like, and on my dad's side, it's my cousin, who's like my dad's sister, her husband, my grandmother, me. That's really small. Yeah, it is. <laughs> no, it's it's very, and that's like rare nowadays, right? People are having like buku kids. I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> um, <laughs> they are. I'm that I am. I'm good on that. But I, um, being able to like take care of them, that is probably, that would be having that financial freedom. That would be ideal. So I have a couple of thoughts now from just what you said. The first one is, and some, this is something I was struggling with for a long time. I still, I still struggle with it, um, at times, but just, do you think your version of the American dream and this is kind of on Brittany's question, but <clears throat> do you feel like it's place-based a little bit or place-limited? And I say that because I, too, had the same thought. It was like, well, if I need to, if I want to do something or get a good job or be able to afford things, I need to move somewhere else. And my perception, and this is, a, well, this is true, too, um, but I was like, I need to go to Atlanta. <laughs> And mm -hmm. I, I know a lot of people who look like us are like, yeah, I need to go to Atlanta. And that's not because Atlanta's fun or cool, which it is, but it's also one of the few cities with black wealth and where there are some black people in decision-making positions that can say, or that can, talk, that can talk about you in those rooms where you're not in because they are more accepting of you who, as who you are. And so, for some people, it does feel like, all right, I need to go to this place to be able to achieve success for myself. And I was just wondering if you had similar thoughts or that was, you know, your visions of, of Georgia and Atlanta, um, really just talking about how the where you are can also help shape what that dream looks like and means. There's no question about that. I 100% agree with that. Um, when I lived in Mississippi and worked at the University of Mississippi, mm. that's where I was kindly reminded that I am a woman and that I am black mm. every day, every day. <sighs> and not just monetarily, but in the way people treat you, how you're received, regardless of how many degrees I have. Um, and not that it's about degrees, right? I should be treated with respect regardless. Yes. Mm -hmm. But there are definitely certain places and spaces around the U.S. that women aren't respected, black people aren't respected, black women aren't respected. <laughs> you know, you you could name it off, right? You could rattle it off. It doesn't matter. And for me, while my experience there was great, and obviously I got my doctorate there, so I, there are definitely some great people there that I am still connected to and I still love, but I knew there wasn't going to be any growth for me. Once I got the doctorate, I was like, okay, I like now I have to figure out what my next move is because I'm always going to be put in this particular box mm -hmm. just solely because of gender and race. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Some people are okay with that. I was not one of those people. <laughs> and so it, it was important to me. And it's funny because I never really considered quality of life as high as I do now. And it was important to me to be in a place where there were people who looked like me, people in positions of power, and not necessarily at my current organization, because there, I mean, there's a few, but they did wrote a whole article about how they could fix that. Um, but knowing that I'm surrounded by like minds was important. It was. No, I, I, I think that makes sense. And that's, I, I wondered about that when you were down there, <laughs> I was just, I mean, you were doing big things. So I was like, Oh, good for you. But I was also, I've, I've never lived there, but I've visited and 
Which part did you visit? Gosh, I don't even remember. Like driving through, uh, my great grandma's family is from Alabama and Mississippi. And so the people who didn't move to Milwaukee and Detroit, they stayed around that area. And so I have family that way, not in Mississippi, but yeah, it, it's in the deep south. Yes, the deep south. <laughs> it's uh, actually funny when I, not to cut you off, I'm sorry. Oh, no, you're good. When, um, I first was contemplating taking the job. My dad was like, why would you want to move to Mississippi? Like, who would want to move there? And But that's because, I mean, he grew up in the 50s. So, mm-hmm. of course, he, you know, he's thinking Mississippi burning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not, he's not considering the fact that the person who's hiring me is somebody that like I know personally and things like that. And so, um, you know, he, he was, he wasn't adamantly against it, but he definitely was like, I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. It it sounds like you have, you've had good uh, guidance or people who kind of knew at least how to not steer you because you, you're smart and you did things that you felt were right, but at least in some part that they did, they went to college, they were a little bit more worldly maybe than others might be. And so I think, and that's just another another question, then do you think that your starting point and the people influencing you is really indicative or a contributing factor to where people go? And I say that um, just thinking like, I think my dad went to seventh grade and left and my mom like she just she's 63 she saw the ocean for the first time last year and got her first bank account and like yeah it's and i'm just i wonder about the american dream and the people who are influencing you or your upbringing to say these things are possible or you need to go to school. I went to school, so you got to go to school. Um, do you think that that makes a difference? Maybe initially, I think that could change along your path, depending on you know who you interact with. <clears throat> so, like my parents didn't put value on material things mm-hmm. ever. My mom wasn't, when I was in high school and we had to wear uniforms and mail, my mom was not <laughs> buying me coach bags and Jordans. <laughs> Neither one of them, they like that because that wasn't important to them. Experiences were important to them. And, and ironically, it is important to me too. However, I have picked up a little of the, the materialistic. I, I've, I've picked up a little bit of it. <laughs> but, but that's because somebody influenced me along the way and was like, you should get this. And I'm like, you're right, I should. And so <laughs> I also think part of that, too, is I, I wonder if if my parents could have afforded those things, would they have bought them? Or was it solely just because they couldn't afford it, that they were like, we're right. not going to place value in this? And so to, to answer your question, I, I definitely think people are affected by what they are around. No, there's no question about it. But I think I also think that people can be affected by exterior things. If I saw like, I, you know, I probably not until I got to college had I ever met anybody who owned a Louis Vuitton bag. And I was like, oh, <laughs> hey, you know, you, I'm like my, a whole new world right now is being open. A real one. <laughs> not a knockoff from, you know, Chinatown in New York. <laughs> And so I, you know, and I was like, oh, like it it was almost like a status symbol. So this is what you should be striving to achieve if you're trying to be like this particular person. And that, I mean, I think that still holds true even now, um, depending on how you choose to live your life and where you choose to, to spend your money. I would say most people, though, the average American wants those things. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt. I did find it interesting that you said buying a house was not on the plan right now. And that's like, that's a, for a lot of people, uh, myself included, I all, that's one of those things that's preached to you. Like, this is the first step to making, like achieving that dream is if you're able to purchase a home, which again, 
factually that's true for wealth accumulation because that's the best way to you know accumulate wealth but sometimes that makes people get into some of those rush decisions because it's like oh i need to get the house mm -hmm. and i gotta do this and then i gotta get a really nice car and like it, it's the the things that we're taught are um important um and then just from something you said i was going to jump in but i want to cut you off you're at unc now so you can get free jordans right <laughs> <laughs> Free Jordans every now and then. Priorities. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> I'm just saying, you you get the Jordans now. You don't have to pay for them. I'll get you a little something. Oh, that's funny. Um, I, I would I would cheat on my Adidas just to have a pair. Stay tuned for more radio from the people by the people here on your grassroots community station, WFMP Louisville. We are independent, not-for-profit, listener-sponsored, volunteer-powered community radio, and we rely on your contributions to stay on air. Please go to forwardradio.org, click participate to get behind these microphones, and click donate if you like what you're hearing and want to help sustain it. Consider sponsoring an entire day's broadcast with a gift of just $20 to Forward Radio. Um, but some, another thing I was thinking about in talking about the American dream is where do you feel like luck plays in? Because I, I never have been one of those people that's like, any success I have, I did it. It's all because of me. Um, I, I think, at least me personally, I feel like there are people I know who are working just as hard or who are just as smart, and there may have been some ball that bounced in my favor at some point to help me out along the way. I happened to be in this class that had this teacher who realized that, like, I needed food, and they were able to find a way to make that happen, and then that they then started talking to me about the importance of education to be able to one day afford my own food like it, everybody has different life experiences but i know for me i feel like there's some dose of luck or circumstance that falls in there that also helps you in any type of achievement that you have and i was just curious on your thoughts on luck or circumstance and achievement I, I am with you. We we are one and the same. I have never been one to say that I made it here on my own because it definitely took a true village to get <laughs> me all these different schools that I've worked at or to, you know, travel to all these different places. Um, I do think, I, I, I mean, I do definitely think there is some luck to it. However, as a, I, I would consider myself a Christian believer my father was a minister my whole life. So I was going to mandatory <laughs> church every day. <laughs> but I, I think, I, I do think that in certain situations, circumstances have to be right. right. Like I reflect on, and it, this seems like so dumb, but I reflect on like Beyonce, right? For example, obviously, you know, y'all <laughs> Well, she's my, she's a good example. As I said, that's not dumb. Beyonce yeah, no. is Beyonce. Come on, no. I'm not familiar. Who is Beyonce? Is that a, a friend of yours? <laughs> um, you know, she was in a girl group originally, but then when she chose to break off and go solo, there was already, there, there was a lane for that, but there was nobody who was really like knocking it out the park the way that she kind of came in and took over. So to me, that's like pure happenstance that she just happened to want to break from the group at that exact time, go solo at that exact time. There's really no other dominant singers at that time. Like all of those things have to fall into place. Um, and I, I often wonder and I often question, and I don't have an answer for this, why it does happen for some people, but it doesn't happen for others. I've always wanted to know because I mean, I, I don't, there's no, you know, who, who's to say why I am here and in this situation and having my current salary and doing what I'm doing when I could be anywhere else, right. you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I think about people like that, like people who had maybe similar opportunities or who didn't have, mm 
the influence in their life to say you're going to do these things to make sure you're you you can survive in this world um i often wonder like why i got this end of the straw and they got the other i i don't know the answer though yeah I, and maybe this is just me but sometimes i i feel guilty about it like i your family from what you've said sounds a lot smaller i come from a family where somebody who had 10 kids was a slacker um, the average was 12 or 14, and so I have a huge family, and most, I mean, nobody really went to college, nobody is, I don't know, there are a bunch that either didn't live very long or are in prison right now. Um, same, we're all, the, we're all the same age, or around the same age, we did all the same things together when we were little, um, and then we ended up in different places, and it's sometimes it's like why mm -hmm. why why me what did i do you know and so it's it's difficult sometimes to even think about like what what did i do differently or why can't why can't they and not in a not in a oh you need to do this in this way but just thinking like why can't why can't it happen for them too and it's a struggle and then sometimes i wonder or i feel like that might be something that also keeps people from achieving because you start moving and you're leaving your family and you're leaving your friends mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, well, maybe I should slow down. Maybe I don't want to take that job in Mississippi because I don't want to leave Louisville because I know I know people here and I have family here and we're going to do this together, you know? And so. I, I, I actually 100% agree with that. I too have felt that same guilt because I, I have cousins who are close in my age and close to my age and um i always wonder like he had two parents you know from like a traditional nuclear household like why are we not achieving at the same rate or the same way i and honestly that would be a great dissertation study just you know <laughs> want to go do that um but i i am very curious to know why that is there you go Brittany. <laughs> Look, it sounds like a twin study thing, and I'm with the twins, so I'll just start out there. <laughs> no, actually, they're both pretty, pretty much at the same rate. <laughs> so, before we let you get out of here, uh, now you have a lot to do. Um, the last real question is: Do you think um, the American dream as you have conceptualized it do you think that's something that is more attainable now or still attainable now or something that is actually a little less attainable in the current state of affairs like today today yes. <laughs> current state of, yes, yes today <laughs> you do Oh, let her think. <laughs> Honestly, I, you know, for the way that I want to go about it, I'm probably never going to see a million dollars just based off the current trajectory I'm on. Same. Now that, you know, if I hit the lotto, great. <laughs> but I, we are living in a society that is instant mm -hmm. where everybody is selling the same product doing the same things like i'm not <clears throat> when i look at people who make like fast money selling lashes doing hair i mean now there are some leg legitimate hairstylists out there you know <laughs> or um like you know being an instagram influencer like that's not who i am and i'm not judging those people like if that's how you so want to make your money then more power to you. I, but I think with with my generation in particular, uh, the millennial generation, like we we weren't taught to make money like that. Like we were taught in order to survive, you know, you need to fall in line, follow these rules. And eventually, you know, if you stay at this particular job, you'll eventually, you know, be bumped up when those aren't the realities anymore. Right. <laughs> that's not that's not our reality. 
I don't know if it's achievable, honestly. I don't. I, you know, I, I hold out a sliver of hope that it can be achieved, but and not that I'm necessarily working just to work. I, I have an end goal in mind because I obviously want to retire eventually, but <laughs> I don't know. I I think depending on how people define their dream will look differently. No, <clears throat> I think that's a, a a great way to put it because we all we all create whatever that dream is for ourselves. Um, granted, there's the one that's fed to us from kindergarten on but there's a point where you decide okay well this is this is what it means to me and this is what i'm going for and you know i don't think i i also don't i think it's less attainable now um just the way the world is right now um but i also think that we at least have more ways to define it now because for some people that dream might be being an instagram influencer and so that avenue exists and it didn't in 2005. all we had was facebook (laughs) (laughs) in my space we had myspace oh i never had myspace I was like a webmaster on MySpace. (laughs) I don't know any of that coding stuff now. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) It is. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I just had a relapse of memory. (laughs) (laughs) But that's, I I 100% agree though, that the avenues look different. Yep. I I think this generation, what is it, Z, that's coming behind Mm -hmm. us? Yep. I think that they, they are the generation that's like, we're not going to just work this job until we die. Like, Mm-mm. I'm going to go find what makes me happy, and then I'm going to go make money off of it. Mm-hmm. And they have that, like, it's like they have that mentality straight out the gate, whereas I think our generation is still trying to play catch up to that. Yep. And so, I mean, good for them. Yeah. More yeah, they're fighters. <laughs> I support it. I mean, we were told from day one, go to school 10,000 years, get every degree possible, <laughs> And then have some type of doctorate, and then you might make. And you'll have money. everything you ever want, right? <laughs> yes. They don't talk about all of the debt that we're in, and we can't afford anything that we even God. need half the time. When I think about and that, listen, we should have <laughs> talked about student loan debt. If we're <laughs> we talked about. a little bit about that last week. You tell us, Kyra. What, <laughs> when I, I mean, in my debt. It's not super significant, right? In the, I have about forty thousand dollars. So, uh, I know exactly. I want to be you. You got a doctorate, and you only got forty thousand. <laughs> I know people who have hundreds. Yes. Hundreds, and I'm like, they did that to be able to just put themselves through school because mm-hmm. somebody along the way told us you need this degree in order to eventually have a higher income, like mm-hmm. the ability to earn more money. Yeah. Yep. And while some of that is still true, it's not necessarily true. (laughs) Right, right. Well, I mean, yeah, take my degree, for example. I have a master's so I could do counseling or work in social services. Nobody that works in social services makes money. (laughs) I knew that going in, but it's also still one of those things where it's like, why do they require that of me if they're not going to pay me enough to be able to pay that debt off that's right and then to make it worse if you do want to do a a type of job where you actually want to give back to people Mm -hmm. you'll be paid well they don't exist (laughs) i won't say they don't exist but they're few and far between like like she's being a social worker you're not gonna make any money off that people Mm -hmm. don't put value on that even though there is so much value in it so I know Taryn said that we would let you go. We definitely can if you're ready to go. Um, but I just, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit more if you have some time. Um, just in terms of, like you said, just you guys were talking about the differences in the ability to attain certain things. And you had mentioned, you know, people make, wanting to try to make fast money and things like that. And 
it just brings me back around to some of the barriers or limitations on that also. So, you know, if you are, you as a black woman, you know, if you have natural hair and you wanted to go get your hair braided, there are certain states that require hair braiders to have a license just to Correct. braid hair. So, so they're, they're requiring for someone to go to cosmetology school and most schools, most cosmetology schools don't have programs that teach you how to braid hair, but they're going to require that in order to be able to bill for that service. Otherwise you can get fined. You could get arrested. Isn't that crazy? It's, it's wild to me. I mean, several states that do that. And I just... (laughs) Basically, a dream deferred. Exactly. Look at you. Quote, <laughs> quote in the title of our previous show. <laughs> there is 100% truth in that. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you going to make me go to school to do something that I naturally know how to do? Right. That, I, that was passed down to me from generations. Mm-hmm. Yep. Or yeah. even. I actually have this conversation at work too, because I, I am natural. I just have my hair straightened right now because I thought it was going to be cold outside, mm-hmm. but it's not. So um, the difference in the way I am received and treated when my hair is straight versus when my hair is in its curly state is mm. so interesting. And it, it's not that they don't like the curly hair. They just prefer the straight more. Hmm. And, I oftentimes wonder if me, cause I, my, I pretty much wear my hair curly the majority of like a school year. And so I oftentimes wonder if people perceive it a certain type of way and that will eventually hinder me from making certain job moves all the time. I think about this all the time. I think about what I wear to work because I work in a space where it's majority men. Mm-hmm. I think about how I interact with them if it's just them and I in an office, like keeping the door open. I mean, it's those types of things that nobody else has to think about, you know, unless they're in those spaces. But I consider all of those things. Yeah, it's, you know, it comes down to show where we are in this world that you have to think about that stuff. Hmm. And it's all a means of protecting yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, that's kind of back, comes back around to where we are and Terrence and I are here in Kentucky to try to help protect people against that kind of thing. But there are so many microaggressions involved in the day to day and we have to find that ability to approach those as well. Where's my little reactions on my Zoom? (laughs) (laughs) There are, I, you know, I don't even think people realize the microaggressions that they do. Like they don't even have a second thought about mm-hmm. it because they're so used to doing it and so used to saying it, it's subconscious. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you have to check them and be like, Matt, I got a story because he'll never hear this. So I ain't worried. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had straightened my hair. So of course people were like, oh, I didn't even recognize you at work. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Well, one of our, one of the white guys that works with us, I was getting off the elevator with another black woman and he touched my hair. Stop. And so I had to smack his hand and I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't touch it. You can look at it, but don't touch it. And he's like, I mean, are you serious right now, Kyra? I can't touch your hair. Yeah, I'm dead serious. And the other black woman who's in the elevator, we kind of said it in unison. Yes, like, no. (laughs) And, and I was like, he probably didn't even have a second thought about that. You know what I mean? Like he's not, it didn't even cross his mind at all. Why, well, why can't I do that? You know what I mean? It's one of those types of things where we are constantly educating constantly. Mm -hmm. And that is exhausting. Which is also a safety concern too. When you're the person that is at risk and you're having to educate And to just think, like, as a white woman, you know, obviously I've also had, you know, my share of having to explain to men, like, you can't touch me, you know, without permission. But but when I think about it, you know, I cannot imagine a time or a space where they would have, like, someone would have thought to touch my hair. 
So, like, why, just because you're a black woman and you have, like, different texture of hair, does it seem like something that's okay to do? I would love to get to the root of that. <laughs> why, why do you feel like because we're occupying the same space, like, is there a certain level of comfortability you feel with me because I'm a nice person? Because, you know, I, like, I'm nice at work. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't want to be now. I'm not, I demand respect, but demand like, it. I'm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a nice person overall. And so people probably do feel comfortable around me, which is great. Like I want you to be able to be yourself unless yourself is racist and don't bring that around here. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, I, I often ask myself, did I do something that warranted this level of comfortability with me where people feel like that's okay. Mm. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, or, or even to say things like I'm, one of the, one of the other white guys there, he was like, well, how long did it take? You know, just ask me all these questions. And I was okay with it because I'm like, if I'm, if, if he's asking for educational purposes, then I, I need to just tell him, you know, so that he'll know moving forward. Right. But I'm like, why? Why me? Why do you? Right. But also, like, is it educational purposes? Like, at what point are you going to use the knowledge of knowing as a white man, like, how long it takes for a black woman to straighten her hair? Or is it just being nosy? Probably being nosy. But they have no idea. I mean, no idea. Like, probably had never even thought about, again, asking the question until... (laughs) They're interacting with a black woman every day. This is probably the most most of them have ever interacted with black women. Wow. So, because I mean, you're probably white. Mm-hmm. I think you're probably right. Because you know, women weren't allowed in the football space. Yeah. Right. Ever. <laughs> and so now that there is a lane, I could tell, especially when I was at Ole Miss, I could tell that people had never worked with black women. I could tell. <laughs> <laughs> It, and they made it so evident because they were so awkward. And I'm like, why are you being like, like, <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, it's not funny, but it's funny. No, it was funny. Like, I laughed. <laughs> when you, and I can't, I can't speak to how it is interacting with someone who hasn't worked with a black woman, but I have been in spaces where people have not been around a black man before, or they haven't especially been around one, someone who they weren't either um, feeling like they, well, I guess they still feel like that. But if someone was like, oh, you're accomplished too? Wait, what? And they, it creates this weird dynamic where sometimes they just act awkward. And it's like, why are you? All the time, I'm like, <laughs> stop it. Like, you're making me feel awkward because you're <laughs> acting weird. <laughs> it's like, I'm embarrassed for you, dude. Like, let's let's stop. No, I... I appreciate your your story on that. Um, random question, but do you know um, Nicole Lynn? I don't know her personally, <laughs> but I actually, um, so I'm a part of this national organization called Women Leaders in College Sports. Mm-hmm. And within the national org, they have smaller circles that are catered to whatever that particular area is. So it could be student athlete development, fundraising, external operations, internal operations, Title IX. It's, you know, the gamut. Mm-hmm. Well, I am the circle lead for women in football. And so I knew that there was a desire for people to want to hear from women who were NFL, NBA agents. And yep. so we basically had a circle call that you saw and you commented on my flyer. I did. <laughs> and I mean, that call, had I known you wanted to be on there, I would have dropped you the link. But um, I mean, it was probably 300 people on that call of men and women. That's awesome. That just wanted to hear from her. I mean, she obviously is the headliner, but I was so glad to hear from those other women too, because they gave a variety of perspectives. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so indirectly because <laughs> i had to text her to get her on the call but like we're not friends or anything <laughs> uh, yeah i know i just wanted to mess with you about it because i 
I could see from listening to some of her interviews, I could see you two being friends. And she tells a lot of the stories of being a black woman in, in sports, especially in football. And so, you know, some of the challenges that she faced. So, I don't know. I just thought that was a, she's a cool person. I thought, you know, maybe, maybe there's a chance. <laughs> one day she'll think I'm friend worthy. <laughs> we do have a lot of mutuals, if that matters. Yeah, it makes sense that you would. So, anyway. Look, I'm loving this because we talk almost every episode about how I'm fangirling over somebody. And here we are with Terrence. <laughs> I love it. Well, I can't necessarily fangirl, but you know. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> anyway, um, we will let you get back to your busy 82 degree day, 82 degree weather day. Um, but I'm very thankful that you had time to come talk with mm -hmm. us it's been way too long and no I feel like I'm you... glad that I sent you that message oh, I me saw too. him on Twitter one day and I said oh let me text him and find out what he's doing <laughs> that's how we ended up here love it <laughs> well we can we can do another day on student loan debt and we can just talk for hours on that one. Oh <laughs> oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Well, anyway, Kyra, it's been really fun getting to talk to you, and we will catch up again soon, I hope. And whenever this is ready to post, uh, we'll share the link and all that so you can listen to it and laugh at us a little bit, and there you go. I'm going to laugh at myself, too. Don't worry. <laughs> nah. So, and then we'll send you the address to send those Jordans. <laughs> I'm going to send you Jordans, but I'm going to send y'all some stuff. Okay. <laughs> Sweet. Thank you so much, Kyra. It was lovely <laughs> meeting you. It was great. See ya. Bye. Bye. The music you hear throughout this recording was produced by Esquire Music alongside Spice Productions. If you enjoyed this show, check out some of the other great programming here on Forward Radio, such as Depth and Weight, Joe and Annie's amazing, heartfelt exploration of the battle against addiction. It airs here on 106.5 FM every Sunday at 2 p.m., Monday at 8 a.m., and Tuesday at 2 p.m. Thank you.